Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 581 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here today. Todd, ready to bring that high energy, and I don't mean uh, Coco Beware and the Rocket Owen Hart uh, to this podcast today. I am. I am. I'm not on Spectrox, but I'm ready to get into this high energy and do a quick short show, Joe. Ah, you see, you didn't say it before we started recording. <laughs> you thought I forgot. No, it's not that I didn't think you forgot. I thought if I didn't prompt you, you wouldn't say it. Right. No, don't you worry. That's my new thing, Joe. That replaced the note that says, call him Leonard or whatever. Yeah, remember. Well, there was an original note, remember, call him Leonard. Then I mm-hmm. removed that and I put in, uh, remember, call him Joe now because Leonard got hit by a bus. That's right. But. So we do have some news to discuss here um, because of its success on Disney+. Plus. A uh, hit Marvel series from the 70s and 80s is going to make its triumphant return. Um, our Diamond Books still late and uh dc partners up with the biden administration and how that relates to us yes uh conventions happening this weekend and even one local to us digital sales uh what we read this past week which is going to be venom number one and a spoiler filled talk of the finale of six sidekicks of trigger keaton uh don't worry if you're listening we'll Put little things in the show notes there of where to skip. Uh, What we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd and Joe have issues as we're getting to the dwindling ends here of the Spider-Clone saga and some interesting stuff for Jonah Hex and uh, discussion of the most recent episodes of Legends of Tomorrow and Doctor Who. I don't think I missed anything, hey? You did not miss anything like a champ. Uh huh. Like a pro, almost. Yes. Yes. Like you've been announcing and enunciating your whole life. <laughs> yes. Uh, I could start off hot with everything, you know, kind of up and in the voice, and then as things become more conversationally, you know, the the real voice kind of starts poking its way through. Right. You bring it down. Bring it real. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Get them in with the uh, bluster and bravado, and then uh, hopefully they stick around. You know, sweep right. them through the quarter hours and all that sort of thing. I say once you got their money, who cares how you sound? Well, listen, that's I don't want to say that's the secret uh, metric to all podcasts, but you just did. So <laughs> let's get into the news. Um, more delays from Diamond. Uh, our shop is okay. Um, the stuff that was missed from last week, which was just anything that was non-Marvel or non-DC, uh, did finally show up. Uh, so this week ends up being a much larger week because of the spillover from the previous week. Uh, there are some stores that are seeing delays again. Uh, like I said, luckily, we're not in that area. But mm-hmm. more importantly, the Diamond website is a disaster still. Right. Because uh, uh, typically I use that as my guide for like the next two weeks, you know, because they'll have the, like the final list for Wednesday, the prior Friday. And then they'll have the following week, like the tentative list. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of gets hashed out by Wednesday. So, you you know, you kind of like it's this rolling cycle that I've been continually doing for the better part of the last 12 years, you know. Right. Um, but when you go to the Diamond website, it's a bunch of 
uh, like blue hyperlinks. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of like images that don't load. <laughs> um, and then when you go to uh, the thing that says like new releases this week, it takes you to a little landing page that says uh, books this week for November 17th. And it's just blank. Okay. Um, see, I use that. You know that site that I gave to you a while back for like checking variant covers? Yes. I use that site and I'm, and they have, now the, the one thing about them is they are, they'll be two weeks out or a week and a half out and they'll be like, okay, it's good. But then you have to check it that next Wednesday because they'll shuffle things around by what's not coming out, what is coming out. Definitely. But I looked at theirs and as of, we record this on a Tuesday, they have everything for next week. So I'm wondering if they know how to navigate all those hyperlinks and they got the information. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I I'm set up for my next week's list. Um, and like I said, in a day or two, I'll check it again and be like, all right, this is definitely coming. This isn't on here anymore. Kind of a deal. So maybe that site will help you if you need it. Yeah. So I still do have that, but, um, being a retailer, they probably get stuff sent directly to them. Right. Yes. But like when you go to Diamond's website, like so right now it looks like the most of the links are working. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when you go to new new releases and you click the thing that says new this week, it takes you to a blank page. Okay. It like it says new releases, guided view, it says DC at the top of the list. And then there's like a thing that you can go previous week or following week, and previous week is still there, and it like has all the whatever's, whatever's. But the week for the 17th of November is nothing, and then the week for the 24th of November is nothing. Just a blank page. Okay. Um, so hopefully Diamond get that straightened out, so at least my um, my my list uh, tallying can be on the same schedule that it has been for the last 12 years. Right. I hope so, too, so I don't have to hear about it. Right. Uh, Marvel announced this week uh, that in March of 2022... What If is going to be returning to comic book form. Now, I assume this is going to be based on the success of the uh, animated show that was on Disney+. Plus. There has been stuff that has been released over the last several years by Marvel that technically could have fallen into the What If line, and sometimes they would clarify it as What If, but it wouldn't be, like, in the title of the book. It wouldn't say, like, What If Spider-Man Does a Thing... It, the book is like Spider-Man does a thing, and then like very subtly in the trade dress, they have what if worked in there. Right. Uh, but I feel as though the cartoon, the animated series, whatever you want to call it, is kind of rebolstered that what if brand, which I would say was a pretty strong brand in the 70s and 80s in Marvel Comics. I think it, I definitely it was one of those big. I mean, it was they were the first to really do that alternate timeline, like, you know, stories kind of a deal. And it caught on. I mean, it would be a while before it wouldn't be until 91 that officially, you know, DC would say, Hey, like else worlds, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I still stand that it's the better of the two titles else worlds or what if, what if it, you know, that's straightforward. Like if I said to somebody, all right, I have a Marvel story and it's like, it's called what if, and they're like, well, what if something different happened? If I was like, okay, I got a DC story. It's called Else Worlds. There's like worlds that are else's. I don't know. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, I, I completely get what you mean. And a lot of times, I 
where I think Elseworld would run into a problem is they would get this idea and they feel like they would have to flesh this idea out to be like a 64 page prestige format, something or mm-hmm. other. Yep. Or maybe like a mini series that like it would become with Kingdom Come, which then gets rolled into hyper time and who knows what Kingdom Come. Isn't Kingdom Come a black label book these days? It probably is, but yes. I, I don't know, you know? Um. So with what if, you know, a lot of times you would have like oh, this big giant thing on the cover. It'd be like, what if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And you're like this huge, cool eye pop, this eye catching cover. And then you get in there and like eight pages of the 22 pages was devoted to that. And the rest of it was like a bunch of other stuff that like. I don't know, like, what if the Silver Surfer was gold? It's like, that's two pages, put it in there, you know? (laughs) Yep. Yep. See, I don't remember too much of the back. I remember it just being this, mostly the stories, you know what I mean? Like the main, whatever was on the cover, what was it was, what was in there in the 70s that I remember. I didn't have too many because I wasn't a Marvel guy, but there was a few that like jumped out to me and I was like, I got to get those. I'm almost certain that for the most part... Um, that they would, um, have at least like two features in an issue. Very rarely was it like one issue told like a full story of something, you know, Right. at least in like the eighties, nineties revival, you know, that makes more sense. Cause, and I used to always like, uh, cause my favorite one, and I'll always come back to it is I like when they would answer the question, another way like later on like because the big one i remember the big one that kind of put what if on the map for me as a comic was what if uh wolverine killed the hulk uh-huh you know in their first meeting in hulk 181 hopefully they didn't take out the marvel stamp um and it, it was like okay and then like a while later they had what if in that fight hulk killed wolverine i was like oh my god i get all these alternate reality kind of a deal and mm-hmm. I, I really love, but I only remember one story being in those, like you said, maybe in the eighties and nineties later. So I will say this, it actually happened and we're, they did it a bunch of other times, but like, I'm talking like the seventies, eighties and you know, nineties iterations. So it does look like it happened a little bit less than I thought, because there's like one here where it was like, what if the fantastic four had different superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one story, quote unquote, But it's like, uh, if I remember, it was like, what if they all were invisible? Or what if they were all elastic? Or what if they were all, like, so it was like one issue with four different stories of like, what if the Fantastic Four all had that one power? Four different stories of the same premise. Yes. Right. And then like, there's another one. It's like, what if somebody other than Peter Parker was bitten by the spider? And in the same issue, it's like, here's what would happen if Jay Jonah was bitten. Here's what would happen if Betty Brant was bitten. Flash and here's what would happen Thompson. if John J- uh, J. Jonah Jameson's son got bitten. Oh, right. So they would do a lot of things like that. They would like throw like this, like broader premise. Mm-hmm. And like, as I'm looking here, it's like, what if Nova had been someone other than Richard Ryder? So it's like, here's who, here's what it would be if, like, it was a random person. Here's what it would be if it was Peter Parker. Here's what it would be if, you know, if instead of Richard Ryder, it was Richard Ryder's girlfriend. That mm-hmm. sort of thing. I get what you're saying now. And then, like, here's another one. It's like, what if Ghost Rider, Spider-Woman, and Captain Marvel were villains? Ooh. So it's like three stories. They're like, here's the villain Ghost Rider. Da, 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 da. So they would do it like I didn't like they would do it like maybe like every, you know, four or five issues where they would do like this multiple thing. Right. Right. 
Um, but I hope they go so more like they go more so that iteration where you have like your one feature story and then like even like one or two smaller stories that don't need to be a six issue decompressed miniseries. Or, or yes, or even like you said in one issue a story and then maybe throw a gag what if at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what? Like the what does? But the, like the what if? Like I, the famous one is what if Aunt May was became a herald of Galactus, yeah. you know, <laughs> like that's a fun cover. That's a fun gag, but that's not 22 pages of a story, you know? Definitely. But then I look into like the later 90 ones and they're like, what if the heroes lost operation galactic storm? And like, that should not be a three issue arc. No. What if but should never, what if should never be more than one? And I'm with you, like on the else worlds that like speeding bullet and brightest, uh, darkest night, you know, what if Batman got the Green Lantern ring? They were always like oversized and not oversized, but like you said, 64 page prestige. It's like, no, it should be a little fun, little like what if comic fast and and, and loose, you know? Right. And then I'm trying to think of other Elseworld ones that where they maybe stretch the premise a little bit through too thin. I can't remember what it was called, but it was the one that where they like gender swapped everyone. Mm hmm. And it was like, um, you know, all the male superheroes that we know are female superheroes. All the female superheroes we know are male superheroes. And that was like a three-issue prestige format, whatever. And then there was Justice League The Nail. Yes. And then they follow that up with Justice League Another Nail. And I'm not even right. joking around. like that's No. I know that because that was – I'm trying to think who did the art on that. Um because uh, Tom Hitch. had a page, a friend of ours had a page of it, and I always loved his style. Was it Brian Hitch? No. It was the guy who was famous for doing Excalibur. Um, Alan Davis. Alan Davis, baby. That, that was some okay. smooth art. Yeah. So it's nice, I guess, to get, like, a cool artist to, you know, do all these pinups or whatever of, like, these alternate reality things, but DC would always kind of stretch that premise very thin you know uh, for the anniversary i hear they're doing another another nail oh show. boy i wouldn't doubt it i would not doubt it either so last but not least uh dc uh partnering up with uh specifically the texas children's hospital in houston uh they have lent out their characters to do promotion to assist kids into getting the COVID-19 vaccine, whether it be posters with the characters on them or a bunch of uh, giveaways, bandages, coloring books, etc., cetera, uh, featuring an officially licensed through DC. Right. Um, and the artist who they got to do all that was the definitive Colonel Sanders artist, our good friend, Tom Durenick. Yes. Yeah, sad to see the Colonel not worked into the poster unless he's like, in the smoke back there somewhere. Well, he, the, DC's doing an angioplasty poster. Oh. <laughs> so he's going to be on that one with the superheroes. But uh, gotcha. no, uh, to, I was talking to Tom today about this. I was like, oh, what have you been up to? And he's like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Did a couple of pages for this. You know, finished up something like that. He's like, oh, and I did this this poster. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah. So basically, the way this poster was done, if you look at it, is he drew each of those individually. Okay. Uh, and I found out later it's because, I don't know, 
he said stickers. It's because they he had they draw each one of them. Then if you get your uh, if you get your vaccine, you get to pick which one of these characters you want as a sticker. <gasps> um, I don't know. Maybe it was maybe he meant bandages, as you're saying they're giving away bandages. But sticker work you know, like a bandage. A bandage is just a sticker you put on a person, right, Joe? Uh, listen, I. When my kid was a little kid, like he was like still a baby in diapers. We have pictures of him where he would just cover himself in band-aids. Mm-hmm. As they should. Uh-huh. Um, but no, yeah, he was saying, so yeah, there's, there might be stickers or band-aids with all these characters on them. Then, because he did each one individually, they were like, oh, we want different versions. Or like, give us your different versions of them on the poster. Um, so like, you know, move them around or whatever. And he ended up saying like, to him... Like he has the other ones at home, like that he did, that he thinks that this was the most boring one that they chose, oh. and he was upset about that. But um, I think it's kind of cool because he ended up showing me the 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 on his phone the pictures of each of the heroes, like done individually and everything. And uh, I think it'll be nice. I'd actually like to. I hope he actually they give him some stickers and some of the posters for himself. You know what I mean? Yeah, comp them if you will. So who, you're looking at the poster there, and again, there's an audio podcast, so that doesn't help. Who is that in the dead center of the poster? That's that, uh, I'm guessing it's that uh, new costume or version of Wonder Woman? Yeah, no. but Wonder Woman's like right up over there, too. Right, but I, well, isn't there like a new Nubia or something like oh, that? Oh, is that Wonder Girl, maybe? Like the new Wonder Girl? I think so. Because I recognize everybody else. Yeah. Um, the new Aqualad kind of a deal, but I'm guessing that's who that is. Okay. I'm just happy Blue Beetle made it on there. Well, yeah. I'm glad that uh, Jonathan Kent made it on there, too. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know. You know, you do you when it comes to the vaccine. I'd Hopefully, I'd like everyone to go get it. You know, be safe as possible, you know. Uh, make it a lot easier for everyone to get out to conventions. Mm-hmm. There are conventions this weekend. Uh, we have one locally, Scranton Comic Book Convention on Sunday. Uh, sadly, uh, even if it was in the plans before, it's no longer in the plans now. My weekend is jammed up. <laughs> um, but if you're in the greater Scranton Wilkesbury area, go definitely check that one out. Uh, there is another comic convention in Bakersfield, California. Uh, Larry Hama and Ramon Villalobos of some of the notable folks at that and the Saratoga Comic-Con in Saratoga Springs, New York. Uh, Todd, uh, Jeff Anderson is going to be there. Of course, you know, Jeff Anderson as wasn't he in clerks. He's done. He's uh, a Randall from clerks. Brian O'Halloran is going to be there. Of course, he's Dante from clerks and Scott Schiaffo is going to be there. Who's he, Joe? He's the Chulies Gum representative, Todd. Hmm, they don't have the Navy SEALs guy? No, they don't have the Navy SEALs guy. <laughs> I bet you they could get the Navy SEALs guy. <laughs> I'm sure the Navy SEALs guy would make sure he would not be at this convention, so he would not be found out. What? Oh, yeah, that's right. This is this is the time the Navy SEALs guy should be both on the West Coast and down South. <laughs> yes. Far away from where he could be identified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're interested in any of these conventions, of course, uh, the links to all of those will be in the show notes. 
uh, that accompany every episode, uh, along with links to soon to be named network at soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com all the shows in the soon to be named network anytime they go live uh you can find them there whether it be this show you're listening to right now Longbox heroes Longbox heroes after dark at odds with wrestling we need wrestling final wrestling place uh puzzle warriors three profane arguments wings on wings hit my music and porch talk and of course anytime anyone from any of these shows appear anywhere else and they let me know it'll go up on the site uh, i know tim of final wrestling place was recently on the a show uh taking the slot in the tournament of champions part two <laughs> away from our very own fancy gentleman himself um and i am going to be on five star match game next week uh, competing against two other fellow champions, testing our knowledge uh, specifically of Saturday night's main event. So I had a good time recording that one. And, uh, you know, check it out. You know, if you're even if you're not a current wrestling fan, we're specifically talking about 33 shows that happened between 1985 <laughs> and 1992. So, should, you know, that should be a short show. Uh, well, you know what? And that's the thing. Oh, that was so as we bring it back. Um <laughs> To the thing that you and I both forgot about before, Joe Gagney, who's the host of Five Star Match Game, is actually a professional and was actually able to keep the, the show moving and not allow us really to get off onto too many tangents. So he pulled the Joe on Todd is basically what he did. Yes. Okay, good. Somebody's got to do it. Because me, uh, my buddy Rob, my buddy Mike, who were the other ones, like we could have just kind of talked old wrestling and gone off on every tangent imaginable forever. But like I said, Joe's a good host because it's a game show format. Everything was kept to a very tight schedule, you know? You could go off on tangents about wrestling? I Joe, certainly I, can. I know you can't see it, but my mouth is agape right uh -huh. now in shock. Certainly, certainly. Uh, but other things uh, in every show post, uh, you can check out our friend Kevin's website, Masked Library. He's going to be getting uh, the podcast Hellions Talks up uh, back on its feet here any day now. I know he just had an unboxing video of some stuff that he had uh, unwittingly purchased from Adam off eBay. So this yes. is how, like the entire world of this snake eats its own tail, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop, all those cool resin and glow-in-the-dark sci-fi, fantasy, and wrestling figures that he does. Uh, Chris Runt's Battle Monsters, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, uh, two longtime power listeners of this show. Uh, they self-published comic books. You can check those out over at Comixology. Uh, but if you want actual physical comics... You don't have a comic book shop in your area or you don't have a good comic book shop in your area. Let our comic book shop, Comics on the Green, be your comic book shop. If you're coming into town for the Scranton comic book uh, convention this weekend, our shop is the one that has the banner. You can't miss it. Mm -hmm. um, but they also do a mail order subscription service whether you get your books sent weekly, bi-weekly, monthly. Uh, there's a chance that you can get a sketch from our friend Becky and you can go check out her process on some of those sketches uh, that she does for those packages and just local artwork that she does around town over on her social media. And like I said, all that stuff is linked up in all of the show posts on every single one of these episodes. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, digital sales this week. Uh, Marvel has a bunch. Uh, we have a couple newbies popping in here. Uh, Marvel has a sale on Green Goblin stuff uh, and Marvel Secret Avengers stuff. DC has the Road to Black Friday sale, which I feel is just going to be the same sale, you know, kind of for like the next like three weeks, essentially with right. a different name, you know. Mm-hmm. So I have to grab the separate URL as <laughs> those go through. Uh, Archie's having a sale on Riverdale and Sabrina related stuff and Dark Horse is having a sale on Plants vs. Zombies comics, which uh, I remember my kid being into back when he liked to read. Uh, that actually popped up in the email that you sent me for show prep and I was like, oh, I remember Joe always saying Asa like that stuff. Yeah, you don't like to read no more, so mm. it's a shame. So uh, let's get into what we read from this past week. Uh, I assume we're going to start with the book that we are both looking forward to uh, this past week, which was Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, issue six, uh, written by Kyle Starks with art by Chris Schweizweiser. And this is going to be spoiler filled. So just a heads up, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, as we last left off, uh, Richard Brannigan, who was the latest of the six sidekicks to join the thing, said he has figured out. Uh, who killed Trigger Keaton by seeing that, like, you know, the three big Samoans were were with him. So he heads off to uh, the head of the, uh, the I want to say network, but it's more of like the movie. The studio. The studio, that's what I wanted to say. And they go in front of him and they end up having a big fight with the Samoans. And in the end, they basically, you know, accuse him of, uh, of being the killer and he ends up, you know, basically giving the the big maniacal plan that he has. There's the big fight. Um, you know, people have each other's back. People step up that didn't step up before. Lots of fun ensues. Um, and then towards the end, they end up getting him dead to rights. And he's like, hey, you know me. I, I have power. It's like, you guys are all nobodies. I can get you a show if you don't turn me in. Blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, they kind of have – they have their own show. So they're they're like, did they – did they turn him in? Didn't they? And you're not sure from the story until you actually read uh, the TMDB, which is the movie database. At the end, there's a whole thing of Trigger Keaton. And you find out that they did turn him in and they got their their own show anyway, which is like a Power Rangers kind of deal. Um, uh, to the end, all around, they the, everybody here st- – Duck the landing. I love this book. It. I should have thought that this was the person all along. It makes total sense. Um, once again, this has one of my all-time favorite uh, bits that they do, and it's Terry Komodo door mm, PhD Joe. Um, all all around great book. Uh, once again, can't high- recommend this enough to anybody to read, especially all six issues, and they leave it open for a sequel but i think they don't want to do a sequel if you get my meaning gotcha um yeah so i i did like the bit of a misdirect there Mm -hmm. where our six sidekicks are kind of offered the world not to turn the person in and the way the book kind of leads you to believe it's like oh they did they, mm-hmm. they, you know, they kind of went against their their morals or their values or whatever else it is. But I did like this ending that it kind of gave them their cake and let them eat it, too, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. Right. Um, and, of course, I there's so much about this book that I love in the way that everything runs through 
with uh, the gags and everything, how there's payoffs to so many of the gags, uh, the recreations, as Todd mentioned, of the TMDB, the movie database, also the uh, Toys R Us ad for the <laughs> action figures for Five Fists. Wait, uh, toys, I, oh, toys. Right, I want all of those toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, there's a clip out that you can get a general, a mail-away General Lobo action figure. I miss mailing away proofs of purchases off of action figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this just like hits all of those sort of beats for me. And then uh, you mentioned uh, about Terry and how in it's in this uh, issue where he realizes the outfit that he wears is called a kimono and not a komodo. Right. Uh, which I thought was a good gag kind of putting over how stupid he was. Um, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great series. Um, I don't think, and I've read everything that Kyle Starks has done. And if there's something that I missed, it's definitely an oversight. Um, but he sticks the landing on everything, man, like all these ideas and, um, you know, you could definitely see where his influences come in all the way back to like the original Ricky Thunder stuff. Um, but like, he's definitely someone who has a style, writes that style, but makes it unique every time, but still kind of stays true to those original ideas that he wrote all those years way back when, you know, I, I get it. I get it. And I'm just glad it was none of the six sidekicks, Joe. Right. I feel better. I, you know what? That's the thing. So I had a feeling it wasn't going to be. Um, like I said, the, the red herrings and the misdirects that were in here, I thought were really handled well. If it was going to be any of the six sidekicks, my money was going to be on, uh, Richard, the Mm -hmm. one who kind of joined the latest. Right. Just because he wasn't one of the original ones, you know? Right. We weren't as, you know, emotionally invested in him because he hadn't been around for five issues for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, like I said, all the misdirects, I think, were handled very well. I thought, like, the way the narrative ran on this. And again, we're talking about the story itself. But Chris Weisweiser's, and I'm mispronouncing his name, and I really apologize. I'm blaming it on my lips still hurting um, <laughs> after all these months. But his art is really good, fits the style. Kyle himself is an artist as well. And I feel as though Chris's art complements Kyle's style immensely. I totally agree. And as you mentioned, the ad for Toys O Toys in the back, Joe. Now, I would love all those toys, definitely. But these two guys need to get together and do a, I don't know, a Kickstarter, a Indiegogo or whatever to get six guide kicks of Trigger Keaton's six-figure place uh, box set with a sidecar. I would pay whatever they ask me to for that, Joe. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Well, I don't know if they uh, have announced another project either together or separately. I know both of them have their own individual Patreons Mm -hmm. uh, where they do kind of a lot of their stuff there. But, uh, you know, I'm sure when we know of whatever their next project is, either uh, separately or together, you'll hear about it here because we'll definitely be checking it out. Definitely. I'm all in on these two creators. Yep. Uh, the other book that we read from this past week was Venom Number no. One, uh, written by Al Ewing and Ram V, with art by Brian Hitch. Uh, this picking up after the Donny Cates run, 
where um, Eddie's son is the Venom that's on Earth, where Eddie is more or less the hive mind of the Venom, taking care of everything throughout the galaxy, not only kind of helping the world and the universe, but also kind of attempting to better the name of symbiotes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And this definitely is a different tone than what we were used to in the previous books. And I definitely think that's just the Al Ewing style of things. Um, We do get a little bit more intrigue, uh, a little bit more, I guess, horror elements, because I guess that's what Al Ewing sees a lot of these Marvel characters as. You know, the Hulk more or less started out as a, a horror book, and I feel as though there's a lot of horror elements, more suspense elements in this than your typical slam-bam uh, superhero action-y stuff. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how this holds up in Venom. Um, I liked it. But it was a bit, like I said, of a tonal shift from what we had previously read. And it might just take me, like, an issue or two to get my footing of the new take, the new direction, the new feel for... Um, I, I So, go ahead, go ahead. I, I have more thoughts, but go ahead. No, you're fine. I, I pretty much agree with everything you say. I'm 100%. Like, there's not much more I could add. Um... I, I could see, like, because they had discussed that um, one is going to basically write the outer space stuff and the other one's going to write, you know, uh, Eddie's kid on Earth kind of a deal. That How that's, like, mismatched and everything. Uh, I could, like, you know, it's not glaring, but you can kind of see the two different, you know, writers on the book. And I'm fine with that because my all-time favorite book is still Good Omens, Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman, writing one book. Um, as I got towards the end, I was like, okay, there's some... There's some heady ideas in this. I like the horror aspect. Like you said, there was a bit with the four symbiotes that Eddie had along with them in space. And when one of them kind of goes sideways, I'm okay. My biggest problem with this book is such a, is such a niche, like little thing. I didn't know it was in this book until I'm flipping through it to do the review right now is that the book ends and it's like to be continued, which I'm fine with. Then there's like what are going to be Eddie's letters pages. And then there's a a thing for the next issue, blah, blah, blah. Then there's a page at the end that I didn't know was there until I just read it. I think that's bad. uh, That's a bad way to do it, if that makes any sense. Um, Because they give you a big piece of story that if I hadn't done this review, wouldn't even have known it was there. I get you. Um, but you know, I, I don't think I missed it. Okay. Maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but like I said, it it was just like, it's just such a tonal shift from the previous Venom run. And because it picks up those same characters that were written a very specific, a very certain way for however long Donnie Cates was in the book, three years, four years, whatever it was. Right. And now it's like those same characters, that same situation. And now the tone of these characters has shifted. It's just like, all right, I'll need like an issue or two to kind of get used to the new tone of these characters. You know, we've talked so many times in the past where uh, Marvel will move, you know, from one big creator to another on a book and they'll kind of reset the status quo. And they did kind of reset the status quo, but it's the same characters that we've been following for however many years it was. 
just in a new role set up to be written the same way because we did get that big issue 200 that kind of set everything up. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's a good issue. Just, you know, I'll need an issue or two to get used to the tone. And I've said that about 16 times and I'm not editing it out. No, I get you. But I totally get what you're saying about the switching of creative teams and stuff like that. Because they did a, uh, it was a smoother transition on Jason Aaron to Donnie Cates on Thor. Yes. They, they changed the book. They obviously changed the book because it was this big thing building to the war and everything like that. But then when Donnie Cates came on, it was still Thor, still the Thor we knew, but now it was cosmic Thor, if that makes any sense. Like we're yeah. going to go with the cosmic aspects. And you're like, okay, this is easier to, t- to take because every, all the characters are exa- acting the same way. This, they're being written the same way. These are just different types of adventure. So I totally get what you're saying. I think the transition could have been a little bit smoother. Which makes me wonder how the Donny Cates Hulk is going to transition from the Al Ewing Immortal Hulk that we saw. Do you think that's maybe why they have the gap in between these books? They were trying to do that because they're a tonal shift. I've said it now once. So, <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying um, to say? Like when they did Thor from Jason Aaron to Donny Case, so like, yeah, we, we, within a month, boom, they're the same. But these books, and maybe the Hulk is gonna be, is probably gonna be completely different. It's like let's give them a little breather before, you know what I mean? Don't so you're not comparing it as close, if you will. Right. I don't recall if we talked about it on the show or not, um, or if it was on After Dark where I was talking about like comic book Twitter. I mean, no, it was probably After Dark a week or two ago. Where Marvel released a trailer for the Donny Cates Hulk, and their whole well, tagline of the trailer was "Immortal No More." Right, right. And he gets buried because it's not Immortal Hulk anymore. Well, so he gets double buried in that he gets it from both sides of the people. It's like, hey, I thought Immortal Hulk was awesome. The fact that you're saying Immortal Hulk No More. I already hate you and the run that you've done on the Hulk. <laughs> and and then he gets the other side where it's the people. It's like, good, I hated Immortal Hulk. It was terrible. I guess I'll read your book, but Al Ewing stinks and so does the Hulk. So <sighs> Donnie Cates like spent the entire day defending both sides of the argument, just being like, hey, everyone, um... It's okay to have opinions on stuff if you read them, whether you liked them or didn't like them. I didn't choose the lingo that was going to be in the marketing of this book. So if that really bugged you, I'm I'm apologizing here. Yeah, he's just spending all day putting out Hulk fires. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, so it looks like, um, I don't know when the first issue comes out, but it looks like at least just looking at his social media uh, he already has like up to issue four in the can, which is, uh, you know, according it's to good, that, web- it's good to be ahead on things than behind on things, you know, according to that website, Hulk, I think comes out next week. Okay. So, I mean, if image, if the, the, the sites weren't all destroyed, you'd maybe know, right. I'd maybe know that, but I sadly do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. 
Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I am currently in the lead with three correct guesses over Todd, and with something like seven or eight weeks left in the year, um, you know, Todd's going to have to work extra hard or just completely give up. Or lie. Or lie. That's right. That's There's always the third. There's there's never some third weirder option. Right. I could um, just... But, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I could just go into business for myself and lie a lot. <laughs> oh, boy. You know how that works out. Yep. Uh, looking at your list, uh, no him and no Han, no chin scratch and no nothing. The book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Nice House on the Lake, number six. I was going to do a joke and say it's not not Nice House on the Lake. No, it is Nice House on the Lake. Mm-hmm. And looking at it, I'm guessing the same thing for you. For sure. Uh, it's the planned break in the middle of this 12-issue miniseries where it's going to return in seven to nine months and definitely not on Substack. Oh, you beat me to it, Joe. I'll be really sad if this comes to Substack. I I almost, it would destroy me, but the fact that it would destroy you more and like it would be like my joke would come to fruition – there's a part of me. It's just a part of me, a sliver, if you will, that wants it to happen. Yeah, it's like I was right, but the thing I t- predicted was horrible. Exactly. You know what? I nailed it, but I nailed it to a cross. Kind of yes. Deal. Oh boy. Uh, so uh, while you're over at LongboxHeroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done here in the past, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current ongoing Todd and Joe have issues where we are reading the mid to late 2000s run of Jonah Hex from Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray and the much maligned, and uh, I'll leave it at that, Spider-Clone Saga. Uh, I started, so uh, we're going to look at uh, issue 61 of Jonah Hex. Uh, So... We're this far into the run, okay? And I get that things are being told out of order. But here we are on issue 61, and what do we get? Uh, How many issues of this are there in this run before it flips over to All-Star Western as part of the New 52? 70. 70. So we got, you know, however many issues left in this doing my Gazinta's two, four, six, eight issues left, we're now just introduced to a time in Jonah's life where he has a wife. But it was mentioned before. It was mentioned in passing, but I'm like, so I guess where my point on this comes into is, is we're introduced to Jonah Hex's wife, Mei Ling, and this is her attempting to set Jonah on the straight and narrow. And Jonah's natural inclinations to settle everyone's hash over the most egregious or slightest um, uh, infraction flies in the face for the love, the very lustful love for his wife. Mm -hmm. But she has a secret as well, and that is... If the time comes, she herself is a Kung Fu master, as Jonah Hex calls it, pretty kicking and Chinese dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do get to a bit at the end where 
Uh, so Todd, and again, I, I do. I'm going to preface this by saying uh, I was unaware that celestial at one time was a slur or a derogatory term. Yes, and that definitely that. plays into my my ignorance. Yeah, um, was watching a lot of like like especially newer westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, like Deadwood was a TV show that they used that a lot to describe Chinese Americans and stuff like that. So I knew this term, you know, um, right. but it is what it is. And, you know, right. So I was taken aback um, just to learn that that was something that was used in a derogatory fashion. The uh, innkeeper uses it uh, to Jonah. Jonah is forced to keep it in check. Um, and they up the price to $2 per person a day, but it's like, okay, I'll look the other way, but you guys have to leave the next day. Uh, the innkeeper is also the barkeep. Uh, Jonah gives this guy a beating and a, a talking to it, a whipping. Uh, a bunch of the locals are like, hey, you can't whip up on him. Uh, he's the guy who mixes us our drinks. Jonah's about to uh, just shoot them all. Uh, Mei Ling comes down, uses her karate to kind of give them the business uh we find out that they met in san francisco may ling has lost her family joan is all that she has left they're on their way to colorado to that piece of land that he has where they can kind of get away from it all and hopefully raise a family but we know as these stories of joan are kind of being told out of order that things don't quite work out um and on their way to the train station uh, those same folks that Mei Ling karateed up the night before um, are waiting for them at the train station. Jonah had made a pl- uh, a pledge to his wife that they that he wouldn't uh, you know do his usual Jonah thing, and he's sarcastic in this. And just because we get to see a little bit of a different side of Jonah in this as well, mm-hmm. um, so she gives him permission to shoot them up. And uh, he doesn't kill them. He just maims them uh, just to show that he can grow to become a better person. Yes, uh, I, I really like this issue. It was a lot of fun. It, I, it makes me wish that we got a chance to see more of this pairing. Right. Um, I do like the line, like you said, he's like, uh, too bad. You, I've promised not to shoot any stupid people in the defense of my wife's honor. Maybe if we wish real hard, someone else's bullets will come along and kill him for us. And she's like, all right, you made your point. Um, her and Jonah are absolutely the best. I think even back in the day when they were together, this is more of a playful like difference between them. Um, I think like they changed her a little bit for this. I don't think she knew Kung Fu um, back in the comic, but I can't remember that, but I absolutely love her and how she loves vulgar Jonah and she's playful about it and everything. But that being said, I kind of like, obviously you've never read what I've read. The story of her and him together is short, sweet for a little bit. And then it goes right off the rails and he leaves her with the, with the baby and he he's he's never really the same after that when it comes to women and uh i just i, I just feel that there's no i know for a new reader maybe but there, that story was mined if you're a Jonah Hex fan and there's no reason to rehash it i'm actually shocked they brought her into this other than they mentioned that she, he left her years ago she left him years ago in that one story about his grandbaby so i don't know 
Love this issue too. And the fact that it's the same town, apparently that my commission's done from Joe. Yeah. I saw you, you uh, tweeted that out or post that up. It's the same train station in the back, you know? Yep. And I really like the look of it. So I'm glad. And this is a great issue. Maybe I should have had him draw Mei Ling in it too. Yep. Uh, the other issue, issue 62, uh, with art by Edward Eduardo Riso. Uh, Riso, if you you would know him from 100 Bullets fame. Uh, Jonah is hired on as a fifth of a group of traveling circus folk that are bringing some sort of creature uh, to Carson City. And, of course, Jonah, you know, does not play well with others. And... They try to get the jump on Jonah as they're sleeping overnight for camp. Uh, they throw one of the people in there, and it turns out to be a giant octopus, if I didn't already mention that. Um, and then, of course, they th- throw Jonah in there. But Jonah somehow, uh, I guess because the octopus is already eaten, Jonah is spared by the octopus, but plays dead until they go to check on Jonah. Jonah gets the jump on them. And it turns out that Ms. Jones, the bearded lady who had previously um, abandoned the circus that this was coming to, she was working along with these folks to try to steal the octopus from the other circus. Um, she comes back. They're going to enact circus justice on the bearded lady. They invite Jonah to watch, and they even cross the line of violence and brutality that's too much for Jonah Hex. Mm-hmm. Uh, shorter story, a little bit more direct. Uh, the bit about Jonah kind of drawing the line in the sand regarding the torture uh, by the circus folks with circus justice. But I thought this was a really good issue because I really like Eduardo Rizzo's art. I agree. That's the strongest part of this. I kind of like get it because once again, even though she's got a beard, you know, Jonah's like, yeah, she's a woman. Blah, blah, blah. But does she deserve this beat down? And he ends up putting her out of her misery. Um, it's it's a fun little issue that plays, like you said, to Riso's strengths as an artist. Yes. So, so uh, hey, Todd, how was things with uh, uh, the uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Clone saga this, uh, this week, huh? So we're in part five of Blood Brothers in Sensational Spider-Man uh, 5. Um, we basically get, uh, you know, the rundown of, of everything in, uh, in, in Ben Riley as Spider-Man's head. And he's a chase. He's saving a mug, a woman from being mugged by these muggers. And, and he's, as he's thinking about what's going on, he's getting madder and madder and madder. And she even says, that's enough. You're going to, you're going to kill him. And it's like, oh, maybe, you know, he's not doing good as Spider-Man, if you will, Joe, but the pressure is getting to him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Maybe there's somebody who'd be better at this. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, so he ends up talking to the lady who's getting mugged and says he's actually been following her because she works for Multivex and this and that. And she's like, oh, she's like, I don't want to say anything, um, but the, you know, I know some of the stuff and the accounts and this is all funded by Osborne Industries. Dun dun dun. And he's like, he leaves without saying a word because. Um, that's, you know, he's like, I'm so shocked. And he ends up and he goes to see Pete. And he's like, Osborne is like, whoa, that wasn't somebody that uh, I thought about, you know, that would pop up here. And he's like, 
Um, it's like, but I was gone for five years. Can you give me the rundown? He's like, and I do like this. Like, look at Peter, like being smart. He's like, hey, that's a five-year gap's going to happen. You. Maybe I'll make a record of all my activities, you know, because that's what the smart Spider-Man would have have us do. And he ends up giving us like the complete rundown of, of Harry, Norman, you know, uh, Molten Man, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so he's like, I'm going to go see uh, Liz. Maybe she'll know, know more about this. Molten Man breaks into uh, Multivex and gets gets a, kind of attacked. Um, Peter, while he's talking to Liz... She ends up like saying, like, I don't know what you're talking about, kind of a deal. I, I, I don't know. I haven't really talked other than uh, a little bit to the guy who's uh, Molten Man. But he goes on, he leaves after talking to her, and he's, like, talking to Spider-Man on the roof. And he's like, yeah, he, she says he wasn't there, but, like, all these clues, you know, say he was. There's, like, an asbestos line jacket, blah, blah, blah. So look at look at Peter being the, the clue master. So, uh we go to the, uh, the coffee shop that was burned down and we find out that it's all going to be rebuilt with insurance money. And uh, what's the, uh, Jesse is defending uh, Ben, but then gets mad because uh, that blonde uh, fashionista wants to hook up with them. So I'm not really sure where we're going to end up with those two. So Spider-Man goes to Multivax. He ends up running into uh, Molten Man. They get in a fight. Uh, trainer is there helping Gaunt and Gaunt's like, you know, I want to live, live again. Just do what you're, what I've hired you to do. So they end up, you know, more fighting, more fighting, uh, Peter, you know, as the hero would, as a hero would, even though he has no powers, like climbs down and gets in and helps, you know, distract, uh, Molten Man and a panel goes absolutely crazy while they're trying to, uh, re- revive gaunt however and uh they end up getting the the guards get the drop on them at the end of the issue and what's going to happen and everything like that so i don't know it just seems like it's a big fight joe not much here other than you know peter being a better spider-man than uh ben is the uh the only notes i have for this are trish kowalski Mm -hmm. who's the financial controller of multivex yeah and asbestos line men's jacket exclamation point. What? Who those are the only notes one? I have for this issue? Who doesn't have one of those? Uh-huh. Um, so uh we start the next issue, which is amazing for twelve. Um, you know, big fight with the guards at Multivex. Uh Gaunt is like, I'm I'm personally gonna attend to this uh to this thing. He ends up fighting Raxton, he's like, uh, at one point he even says, like, he's like, if you ever found out who it was, you know, it'd blow your mind. So MJ goes to see Liz, and they end up talking about uh, the the connection, and that uh, he he ended up, Molten Man ended up going, and she's like, oh, I got to get out of here, but not tip off Liz to warn uh, Ben and Peter, but which is going to, you know, end up coming back to to bite them, and. Uh, Peter's trying to do some stuff and, and like to help. And Ben is like losing his, his, his cool yet again, like doing non Spider-Man like stuff. He's like, you're playing, you're a civilian. Now you're a normal guy whose concerns are like, you know, your wife. And he's like, but we, we need to do this. And he's like, we Peter, like, and I'm like, one of them is acting more and more like Spider-Man than the other. Um, so, uh, 
Ben goes off to find and he finds trainer and he's like, you know, I know things look bad, but they didn't give me a choice. They, they forced me to help. And he's like, they, they who, and that's when molten man and the fight comes to him and gaunt. Um, and he's like, uh, he's like, it's trainer says, Ben, he's like my secret identity. It's like, no, God says, no one cares about your true name. You are Spider-Man. And that's justification enough to suffer. Um, and uh, and he's like, we're gonna. He's like, it's good to see you again, Spider Man. He's like, and he's like, talking about the pain he's gonna flick. He's like, do I know you? And he's like, you should, but I'm surprised. I'm not surprised you don't recognize me in this form. Um, I'm a dying man, and you know, uh, you know, you'll learn trouble from me, kind of a deal. So it's like, okay, who is this person? Obviously, it's somebody who knows Spider Man from the past. Um, Mary Jane shows up at Multivex, and the guards are just like, hey, we got your wife. Uh, we know you're up there. Um, just give it up. Uh, so uh, Ben's fighting and he's like, okay, someone from my past or Peter's. He's like, who could it be? Uh, there are so many people who are supposed to be dead. People like the Jackal, Craven, Dr. Op- Octopus, the big man, the original green. Good Lord. Could it be Harry? And it's like, it's, it, could it be Harry? I don't know. Um, he is dead, but uh Gaunt gets the drop on him by gassing him. Um, and he's like, okay, you could, this, I think maybe this is where we start calling him Gaunt. He's like, um, I was hoping you'd be intrigued after you asked who I am. Uh, but the name for now will be Gaunt. And my employer has requested, I was like, great. Now he has an, like somebody on top of this too. <laughs> you have an employer, another former acquaintance. And I'm like, oh my God, like what is happening? So he's like, uh, I've, Got the drop on you because of Mary Jane. He chains up Molten Man and Ben Riley. Um, and Ben and Peter end up getting in a fight, but it's a fake fight, just like wrestling Joe. And it's just so that Ben could get free and end up throwing like you know, Molten Man around and using him as a as a like a weapon to bust stuff up. The uh he ends up hitting the reactor, like I said, it's gonna go critical. Uh, but trainer stays behind so everybody can get away. He's like, you know, keep it at bay. It ends up exploding. Um, and in the end we find out that, Oh, he survived. Um, and in the end he's like, uh, what was it? He's like, I, did you sabotage your trainer or did you like, did you do it? And he's like, are you making an accusation? And then we find out he's like another guy, um, uh, is like, you know, he's built his criminal empire. He's the guy who's behind it all. And I'm like, who's this guy? And we still haven't gotten back to Judas Traveler and all this other stuff. So um, this story, once again, other than putting Ben in a bad light and Peter in a good light, even more stuff they're throwing on top of this. So, uh, you know, obviously we're going to get back to uh, Judas Traveler and Scryer shortly-ish, I guess. Um, any thoughts of who Gaunt is or could be, and obviously who the mysterious benefactor is as well? Um, I, I, like all joking aside, one of the, one of them's Norman along the way, but which one at this point? Is he Gaunt or is he the benefactor? Mm -hmm. Or maybe he's neither and it's all at the end. Maybe it's Jackal again. I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> well, so I'll say this, uh, you know, next week for both of us, it's just one issue. 
Uh, it's Jonah Hex 63 and it's adjective list Spider-Man 69. Uh, mm-hmm. And then after that, we get into all of our wrapping up of the plot threads. Okay. Um, and again, not to spoil too, too much, but 69 is kind of like a coda to this. Uh, where it wraps up the Cell 12, the Hobgoblin, and the Peter being in town stuff. Okay. And uh, maybe he'll get his powers back at some point. Sure. Maybe. Possibly. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe Ben re-dyes his hair and they just kind of start calling him Peter. And that's who we've been reading in the, the books these last nigh on in 20 years. Only time will tell, Joe. That's right. Only a few weeks will tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com be sure to check out everything else we got going on over there uh, check out our little store uh, the holidays are upon us you can get shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them uh, sitting right here in the office which is going to be getting a redecoration in the near future um, but if you want even more stuff inspired by this show, uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Plays, Hit My Music, uh, you could head over to our T Public store, uh, tinyurl.com slash longboxheroes, where as of this recording to the 21st of November, everything is 35% off. So you can get all of those designs on anything and everything from cell phone covers to notebooks, to throw pillows, to everything in between. Uh, another way that you can help us out and get some extra podcasts is by signing up for our Patreon. $5 a month is going to get you two bonus shows from Todd and I. One, previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog, just to see what the world of comic books looked like, you know, 30 years ago, and uh, how loosey-goosey they would play with the editing and the sports card section as well. <laughs> right. It was an Elseworlds time, Joe. Yes. Ugh. Um, and hey, also as part of your patronage, we put the scans that Todd lovingly does so much <laughs> every month. Uh, we put the full scans of those previews up there as well. Uh, so even if you just want to thumb through the pages, we don't go through it page by page by page. But maybe you do. If you're a patron, you could do it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the other bonus show is Six Never Seen Movies. Todd assigns me six movies I've never seen. I assign Todd six movies he's never seen. Uh, and then we're getting to the end of that as this week we'll be recording my final pick, which was the Chris Elliott opus Cabin Boy. And I think we have a feeling of what Todd's final pick will be for next month. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully it's still on one of the streaming services by the time that we get to it. Um, and lastly, but not leastly, you could also help us out, as mentioned, it is the holiday season by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link with the banner at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee, as you would not know they existed if it was not for us directing you to them. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the advertising fee. Yeah. Some of some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include Martha White Muffin Mix. That's Batman and Superman's favorite mu- uh, muffin mix, Joe. Oh, because you say Martha. That name. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I was working, I'm like, Perry White? No. No. 
where my where my mind goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody did a whatever an Amazon reload is of twenty five dollars. I, I guess that's you, like oh, go ahead. You can reload a gift card. I think. Oh, interesting. I guess like if you have the card, you just be like, ah, oh, let me just put you know put more money on that. Uh, but if you go through the site, maybe you know what I mean. Yeah, interesting. I you know I I was always under the impression that an Amazon gift card was kind of disposable. You know. I guess, yeah. Um, like I know everything from you know, and I say everything from the things that I do, uh, Dunkin' Donuts to sheets. You know, um, when you get a gift card and you register that gift card initially, that essentially becomes your customer number, and then as you get other gift cards, you can kind of merge them together onto one account, mm-hmm. and then all that money builds up either on one card or through the app with that account number. Sheets is the same thing when you get like gift cards and stuff for sheets. You could scan the card or you could input it into your app. I didn't know Amazon had such a thing, but it makes sense that they do because everyone else does. Yep. Uh, somebody also purchased uh, hefty slider storage bags and Amazon brand Solimo tall kitchen trash bags. It has a fresh scent, so your garbage won't stank. You know, and I tell you, as much as a fresh scent as a garbage bag will have, they have that scent coming out of the box before you put it in the can, and then Mm -hmm. it don't have that scent by the time you're taking that bag out to the curb. It's like how fast flavor leaves chewing gum, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I tell you, uh, I have come to learn that extra. (laughs) uh, This is not an, an advertisement for them, but extra brand gum for someone who is a as vigorous as a chewer as I am, <laughs> right, um, does hold its flavor much longer than your average brands. Right. I always I always was a juicy fruit guy, but yeah. you would just put juicy fruit in your mouth, chomp three four times, and then just put another piece in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, and also, somebody purchased a Transformers Generations War for Cybertron. Uh, Earthrise Deluxe, some sort of weird <laughs> code number, uh, but it's an action figure of RC, the lady transformer from the movies. Oh, I thought it was a bottle of soda that transformed RC Cola. I wish it was. That'd be that was... uh, that'd be a fun rib, <laughs> right? Uh, but thank you to everyone for any and all of the purchases to the Amazon click through, any purchases you've made through the T Public Store, any of the purchases that you've made directly to us for stuff, or anyone who's signed up and has uh, been a continued patron. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Yep. Uh, and Todd, I'm guessing we did not have any art attacks this week. We did not have any art attacks this week, Joe. Don't let that stop you. You know, if you're a burgeoning artist yourself, uh, tag Todd's art attack. Uh, on there if you've recently had something commissioned or if you're sitting in one of those uh, art Facebook groups and you're sniping people for other people's stuff, uh, you know, post it. Especially if you snipe Todd for something. Make sure you tag both the Todd's art attack and Todd's personal account so you can really rub it in his face. Right, so I could do the fist to the sky screaming shot. right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess then that means we're going to get into some discussion of some TV stuff, huh? Really quick um, on Uh-oh. the pigskin pickums, Joe. Oh, the pigskin pickums. I know. Uh, I know you're not, not over yet. No, you have like seven, eight more weeks. Um, 
I'm going to unpin it from the top of the page. You can do that because nobody else is joining because I've locked the group. Um, oh, boy. I All like right. the fact that you're no longer on the first page. So that's always no, I, now see. OK, so that's the thing. I haven't just the way that it worked for me. And like, I've, I guess, however many like I haven't been on the first page uh, for like the last like three weeks. No, oh, I didn't notice because uh, Jake Strap was bothering me. But <laughs> now um, me, the Vansky and Sklodo is uh, tied for first. And that makes me feel better. And now, you know, Jake, the old Jake Arooney is down lower. So as long as somebody's above him and I recognize all these names, I'm good. As long, well, as long as it's not Vansky at the top, but that's a whole other story. Well, listen, I'll just say his name's above yours on the list. So as far as I'm concerned, he's beating you. That's fine, but he's not winning as far as I'm concerned. And don't forget, I can also bounce him anytime I want. So. Well, it would be it would be turnabout fair play if you played fast and loose with a podcast competition with Vansky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if um, I do, we know who uh, Skladu is. No, but they've been around uh, before, and I think they have chimed in. They're, they are a familiar name. I will say that. Right, and uh, the way I look as if Vansky starts writing demands on a piece of paper, well, it's over. It's over. Now well, it's so. been over for a while for him, if you ask me. Yeah. Now we can do TV talk, John. Okay. Uh, so we're going to get into uh, what what we watched first, which is Legends of Tomorrow, which I'm going to start with, if that's okay with you. I thought you'd really want to take Doctor Who, but that's okay. You do Legends. Uh, so the Legends uh, arrive in New York, uh, our main crew of Legends, uh, Sarah, Ava, Gary, uh, Nate... And they are on the uh, lookout. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. And and Barad is with them as well. They are on the lookout for Dr. Gwyn Davies, right? Mm-hmm. And this is our first official shot of seeing Dr. Gwyn Davies in the show, even though he's been in the opening credits for the last, like, three weeks. <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we mentioned Vansky before. Uh, he did point out to me that Amy Louise Pemberton, who plays Gideon, had sang in three consecutive episodes of the show. She did not sing in this episode, so I'm glad that I was wrong, but I'm more glad that the streak has been broken. That broke my heart, Joe. I was and waiting. I, I'm like, oh, a song's going to come on the radio when then there are the cards. You're going to start singing along to it. Right. And I just want to say, as the episode starts out and it's Gary alone, yes, um, trying to find someplace to open the house of secrets slash mysteries, um, him walking around New York, twirling the key on his finger was giving me agita. Okay. I was, I was waiting for it because in true Gary fashion, I was waiting for it to fly off his finger and land in a storm drain. And because that's what I've done every time I've, you know, flung keys around on my finger. And I'm like, Gary, you fool, don't lose that key. But I have a feeling they're setting it up so he can lose the key down the line. I I imagine, I think there's definitely been episodes of The Simpsons where they've depicted Grandpa Simpson uh, in the tw- in the Roaring Twenties, mm-hmm. wearing a zoot suit, walking down and either twirling his pocket watch or a key. And I did get those sort of vibes from Gary here. Right. Definitely an Abe Simpson Gary is. 
Right. So we're going to kind of run through. Uh, so the, I just want to say, uh, so this first time that we see Dr. Gwen Davies, um, I had mentioned to Todd, I can't remember if it was on air or off air, that he is played by Matt Ryan, who previously was playing Constantine. And then there's the running gag that everyone who sees him says that he reminds them of someone and they all get it wrong, which I thought was a cute gag. Right. My favorite was he's like, it looks like Mick, but with hair. And I was like, no, Mick with hair is completely isolated. But yeah, they go down because then it's like Grimby from the Wool Council, a young version of him. And then somebody says, no, it looks like a young, uh, you know, Ray Palmer. And I was like, I was cracking up yeah. at all of that. So I totally agree. But yeah. I hope they continue with it through every episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, they end up uh, trying to get a hold of Davies. They find out that he already has a time machine ready to go, but he's missing one part. Uh, so the legends are going to distract Davies while they go and get the part. And they initiate the time sequence so they can go back uh, to a, you know, uh, time bureau safe house or whatever it is and return things back with the smallest footprint possible. But as always with the legends, wouldn't you know who won the pony? Things don't work out quite that way. They put the piece into the time machine and immediately Ava and Gary, who are part of the time bureau, disappear. And it's at this point that they figure out, no, we need Dr. Davies to do this because it has to happen at this time on this day, etc. So in uh, them attempting to distract Dr. Davies, Gary runs into Thomas Edison who Dr. Davies is working for, Gary being the bumbling idiot that he is, stooges off to Edison, what Dr. Davies is up to. Edison is like, you've been doing this under my nose. Um, you've been stealing stuff from work. Obviously, you're a crazy person. Sends him off to the loony bin. The legends break him out of the loony bin, bring him back to his house. He puts the piece in the machine. Ava and Gary come back up. Now we're really going to do the time travel. We have a spot in Tahiti where we know there's a safe house. We're going to get there. However, our other group of legends, uh, which is Astra, Spooner, and Gideon, they have to, they're trying to catch up with our legends because when they turn it on, there's going to be a power surge that is going to kill everyone, including Dr. Davies, which is what was going to happen to him anyway if the legends did not interfere. Uh, they, this group of the legends, end up getting to New York, and they do not have a ride. They're down on their luck. Uh, so Astra uses her magic to enchant a rock as a lucky rock. Eh, it was less of a lucky rock and more of a rock that kept tigers away, if you ask me. <laughs> um, so they do get a bunch of good luck, but it turns out that it was just Astra lying to everyone to help build their confidence up. Now, who is the man that comes and helps them? Uh, George Cannonball something or other? Is he the inspiration for the Cannonball run? I think he might be. Okay. So he's kind of goony, but he was a fun character. Uh, he gets fleeced out of his car, just hops on a bike and leaves the legends there. Uh, Gideon was asleep in the car with the guy, so she ends up getting to New York before everyone else does. Um... Astra uses her powers on a electrical tower that does cause a brownout in all of New York that ends up saving the rest of the legends. They use the time machine. They go to where they think is Tahiti. 
And it certainly is not Tahiti, but we don't really know where there are. Those are your A stories. Those are your B stories. There's stuff in there regarding J. Edgar Hoover robots. Uh, and one of the pieces that are inside of the robot was the power source that they needed for the time machine. Uh, the fact that Thomas Edison dies is immediately replaced by a robot. And there is someone in another wave rider that is after the legends and the ongoing story of the love affair with Nate and Zari, which to be completely honest with you, I don't care about. Yes. The only thing that in there that to me stands out that you may have missed is that, uh, Sarah needs Dr. Davies to do something. She goes to the insane asylum to get him. And she ends up explaining that uh, Ava has disappeared into time because of something that she's done. And she's like, he's like, you've married a woman. And he's like, well, yeah, she's my special person. He's like, I have a special person. He's holding something that says Tom. And I'm thinking that they're going to do a whole thing that he lost a lover in the war and it's a guy and seeing her that in the future she can get married. Do you know what I mean? Like that whole thing, I think that's going to be like the, she ends up saying, well, if, if you help us, we'll help you with your person. That's important. And I'm thinking that's either the story or because the thing he's holding says Tom, that it's T O Morrow from DC is the other thing. Ooh. I don't know. Um, so I want to see what's going on there. I was with, so I was with you on that, but it felt as more of a kind of throwaway passing mention, but I would be interested to see if it becomes a much larger, uh, plot device. Right. Yep. So would you like me to discuss Dr. Who, your favorite time traveling show this week? I demand it, Todd. Okay. Um, so last, uh, well, basically it starts out, this is one that I'm going to jump around a little bit, but not much. Thank God. It starts out with Belle's story. Who's this character who's living on this planet sometime in the future. And she's like, um, when the flux came, it ruined everything. The universe is being destroyed. And, um, uh, it's, you know, there's Daleks here. We're in the Dalek sector and I got to get to you to you and she has like this little tagamachi thing or whatever it's called you know the uh thing that she she can talk to and as she's going we find out that these blue dots kind of a thing that float around have been released she's like i'm used to we're used to the older stuff but this is something completely new and i'm i'm not and we're not sure who she's talking to but she's like but i'm gonna get to you i'm gonna i'm coming for you and i'm gonna get to you so throughout the episode we see her in the different like Santaran sector and the different, uh, you know, there's a Cyberman sector. So that's kind of cool. Um, last we left the doctor, uh, she was going to save Yaz and Vinder because they had become part of the Mori by, uh, swarm and Azur. And she's like, he's was going to destroy them. So she only had one option was to throw them all into the time storm because uh, through the platform. And in that they all get separated and go into their own timelines, and we 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 learn a little bit more about each of them. The Yaz one is just basic. We learn that for some reason in her timeline, the Weeping Angels are going to come for, like, are coming for them. So whatever, that's you could throw her storyline away. Then there's Dan, and it's him going through, and it's him being dating Die and talking about his life and how he was going to be married once. So we learn a little bit more about Dan, but there's not much of consequence there. Um, the one we learn the most about is Vinder, 
who we learned he was a pilot and doing some daring deed. He got noticed, and they were like, oh, because of that, we're going to put you on the greatest detail, um, protecting the Grand Serpent. Um, you know, this is the thing. And in his mind, he's kind of remembering what it is, and he's like, I don't want to relive this, don't want to relive this. Um, goes... Uh, he's with the serpent. His job is to guard him from these people as he's making a deal and record it. And he ends up telling him to turn off the recording, does it anyway, because this guy's like all powerful wherever they are. And he ma- the guy makes a dirty deal. He's like, yeah, we're going to do this deal, but you're going to kill some people who are a detriment to me. So he's like, ah, I'm going to report this. He goes and he reports it. And the, his superior says, if I do this, the grand serpent you know, is going to find out about it. And he basically is like, do you want to do it or I can bury it? And he's like, do it. And he ends up doing it. And in the end, it doesn't really work out. He tried to do the right thing, but bad thing happens. And that's why he was relocated or re, you know, given a different mission on that space station in the middle of nowhere alone. He was given basically being sent off to Antarctica when you, when you do something wrong. Um, so that's how he got to there. Um, then the doctor's storyline is her remembering uh, uh, this alternate timeline. She's not sure what it is. A assault on Atropos, the planet that they were on uh, with the with the Mori. She's remembering it because all her companions are there, but they're not acting like themselves. And she finds out that this is the memory from when she was the fugitive doctor, um, the black woman from last season. And she's talking to herself, kind of remembering, looking herself in the mirror, all like quantum leap style. Um, and through it, she ends up, uh, this, it's the story of how her working for the group that she worked for before she can remember anything, taking down Swarm and Azur, who had taken over Atropos and the Mori, um, by using that passenger who was with, with them, who could keep, is like Time Lord technology, I think can store souls in it. And she used the Mori in there to oust them out. They get captured and they get put in prison. Um, and we find out that, you know, that it, it wasn't her companions that are with her. It's different people from that group. And one of them is Carvinista, who was the dog person who's Dan's, you know, bonded alien. And she's like, okay, so I was right about him working for all this. Um, and she ends up, you know, jumping from timeline to timeline, helping all her companions. And then in the time start, she finds the Mori. She's like, you have to replace your send Mori back to this thing because taking uh, Yaz and uh, Vinder out, we need to replace it and everything will set back in motion. So they do. And she goes back to that place and swarm in Azure. They're like, that was our whole plan. The whole time you've released a little bit of these things, which are the blue dots. Um, now time is at war with space um, and you've fallen right into our plans and on to our next thing. It's uh, so like, okay, well, they end up going, well, we'll we have to figure out what we're doing. Let's take Vinder back home. And we find out, this is when we find out that Vinder is in love with Belle who was the beginning of the story and she's pregnant with his kid. And that little device is a way to communicate with her baby back and forth, which I thought was a really cool uh, niche. And she's like, here's a communicator. You go off and find bell. If you need us dial this, we'll come running and they're going to go find swarm and Azure. But when they do a weeping angel takes over the TARDIS and flies them off to the next episode. 
Um, good story. I like the stuff with Belle. Mm-hmm. They did a good job of introducing her where there's so many new characters. And I feel it's difficult sometimes for us to kind of get any sort of emotional attachment to people that are introduced in a Doctor Who thing. Mm-hmm. But I thought of anyone that we've been introduced to at least so far here, three episodes into the season, uh, the stuff with Belle was the best. Right. Uh, obviously, the fact that she gets to fight both Daleks and Cybermen, I think, helps quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and I liked the looming threat of the blue swarm, the locusts, the mites, whatever they referred to them as. Mm hmm. Uh, kind of being whatever is the fallout, I guess, from space and time being at war that they're trying to, whatever it is that they're trying to do. Um, but as someone who is not very steeped in Doctor Who lore, uh, there was a lot going on in this episode. Yes, there was. And it was very tough to follow along. I did my best. I think I know what's going on, but I like the Bell stuff. Right. The only thing that jumps out to me now, there was something last episode that I didn't touch on where uh, Yaz meets Swarm and Azur and she's like, we're Swarm and we're Azur. And she's like, those are your names. She's like, at best, they're a translation. You know what I mean? So I Mm -hmm. believe their names are a clue. And now the best way to describe these blue dots are a swarm of of Azur things. Yes. So I'm kind of like, that they definitely wanted these things released. So uh, uh, I think that, I don't know. I just, something with the name is starting to like pop and I want to see where it goes. And this being said, not that it's, uh, you know, of anything. I did not know until this episode that Di only had one arm. Oh, no, I, I, they, I noticed it from her introduction, but I was kind of wondering if they were going to make a thing of it and Mm -hmm. then three episodes in and they hadn't i'm like okay that was very interesting that was very you know whatever a choice they made that they cast an actress that was missing an arm right which i think is great but it also says like i I wasn't you know what i mean like i never really looked and it and them not like you seeing it early on and adam ended up pointing it out to me actually and I was like, okay, which is great because they didn't make a, a thing out of it. And now, like, I, not that I would care before, but you know what I mean? Like, they yeah. didn't make a thing out of it. And I hate when, you know, it's, I'm, now it just seems normal. And I know that's, that not that it isn't, but it's just like, oh, here's this character. And it's a part of, you know, who she is. And we didn't do a 15-minute soliloquy about it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it just, it, I don't know. That's the only reason I'm bringing it up is because, I found out three episodes in and I'm like, oh, well, let's just, I want to know more about Die, but I don't even care if they ever mention her arm, you know? So, but just an interesting fact for me. Yes. So only three more to go. Oh boy. Another positive of this episode, it was only like 48 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, I think they're all about an hour to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Because they, they don't have commercials over there. But, you know, whatever. I like the episodes that are under 50 minutes as opposed to the ones that are closer to 60 minutes without commercials. Yeah, I'm that way when we do some of the movies you gave me. So when they're the, mm-hmm. short, when they're the shorter movies, so. I'm with you. But 
anyway, I guess that's everything. We don't have Flash comes back tonight as we're recording this, but we're not doing that anymore. That so sounds like a Todd problem. That does sound like a Todd problem. So we only still have two shows next week because it's a bit yet, like we said, for Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of get into a little bit on After Dark this week. So uh, next week again, of course, is Legends and Doctor Who. Uh, week after that, we add in Hawkeye, and then shortly after that, we slough off Doctor Who. And I don't know when Legends of Tomorrow ends. I don't know how many episodes this season is. I could maybe see them not having something for around Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. like taking a break for the holidays a little bit. You know how TV usually likes to do that. So yeah, let me look here. If the, sometimes the schedule is a little bit more clear. Um, unfortunately right now, um, all the schedule has is up to next week. Like there's an episode of legends this week and next, and that's all they have. Right. So again, it doesn't look like they're taking the day before Thanksgiving off or whatever. Um, but we shall see, um, at the very most, there's going to be one week where we have three episodes of TV to talk about. Yes. And, uh, well, and uh, you know what, and I'll say this, uh, as we get into, uh, December, about a month from now, we'll have, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home to talk about. Yeah, and who knows, maybe I'll see Shang-Chi and, and uh, the Eternals before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shang-Chi, definitely not this weekend, maybe next weekend for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Unfortunately, uh, I, I could see Eternals me waiting for that to show up on Disney Plus, too. All right. That's it. All right. So uh, that is all, everyone, this week. Thank you very much for listening to uh, episode 581, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying, see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.